The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now as your people to hear your word, and we're asking you, God of all grace, to pour out grace on us through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit to make much of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, a thanks to Pastor David and Nick for filling in while I was gone. It is good to know that I'm leaving you in faithful, good hands. And and the moment of, of worship that was sweetest for our family with you all, we did both of our worship services while driving a very long distance. And last week it was fun to sing uh, the mountains shake before you while we drove through the mountains in Tennessee and think about what it is like that our God can throw the mountains into the sea, that our God can move the mountains. So it was good to be away and it is good to be back with you all in in person. So what I want to do is just start by telling you kind of where we're headed in the next month or so, so that you can situate yourselves in the sermon series and what's coming. This week, we're going to finish our verse-by-verse walk through 1 Peter. And then next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do kind of a review sermon of 1 Peter. I'm not quite ready to say goodbye, and we were the the campus that accidentally got a week ahead. And so we're we're going to hang out and do a review of 1 Peter and try to try to press these truths into our souls one more time and apply them maybe to some of the upcoming events in our world. And then the week after that, I just want to remind you and get you ready that that will be the first week of Global Focus. We're going to have an all-church preacher for week one of Global Focus. I just want to have your eyes open for all sorts of Global Focus events coming up. So watch your email uh, read the weekly and, and get ready for all sorts of all-church and self-specific events for Global Focus. We want to go hard after our God, who is the God of all the nations, for those couple weeks. And then the second week of Global Focus, we're going to kick off our new series because the beginning of Acts is such a perfect way to kind of cement Global Focus. And so in just about a month, we'll kick off the book of Acts. First Peter has, has shown us these principles to live as a chosen people in a place that is not our home. And as we move into Acts, we're going to see what that looks like in real time as the gospel multiplies through God's people and the power of the Spirit. So that's where we're going the next month. Finish this week, next week, summary, global focus week one, and then launch into Acts as a family. So I thought Nick did a great job last week, kind of walking us through how we entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. My favorite point of his sermon was when he talked about how to humble ourselves really means casting our cares on the Lord. If He's the Lord and we are us, then what does it mean to humble ourselves besides casting our cares on the Lord? Especially in light of the fact that we don't just do battle against our own flesh, but against the devil who is prowling around like a roaring lion. But the reality is that's hard to do. 
It's hard to entrust our souls. It's hard to cast our cares. Everything in us, in me, wants to first solve it on my own. And if we're honest, there's always something to fear in this world. There's always something to fear. I never wake up with a day where I'm not anticipating that something could go wrong. Why is that? It's because this world is broken. It's been broken since Genesis 3. This pandemic in the year 2020 is nothing new. It's just a result of the curse and the brokenness of this world. It broke fellowship with God and fellowship between His image bearers. The shalom, Pastor David mentioned that word already, the shalom of the universe was not just broken a little bit, but to the very core was fractured. And if we're honest, we're living in a season in particular in our nation where all sorts of fears that are already there, really, are being stirred up. And we're in the season as a nation, but as we've been looking this week, my kids and I, at, at this book, I think it's called Window into the World, and learning about this, these places around the world like Saudi Arabia, where if you're going to become a Christian, you're going to be disbanded by your family, put out by your family, you're probably going to have a, an attempt on your life by your family, and if you get through all that, the government's going to come, they're going to throw you into jail. We can just admit that there's a lot to be afraid of in this world. It's a lot of brokenness. And in many places, there's much more to being a Christian. Here in our country, some of you are afraid of losing certain rights. Some of you are afraid of losing health. Just this week, one of our members had a family member who's really struggling with COVID. Some of us are afraid of losing this election and what that could mean for our nation. Some are afraid of losing their jobs. Some are afraid that we're losing the culture. And if we're honest, even though we have more information than ever before at our fingertips, none of us really know if we can trust it. None of us really know if what this person is saying is true. And so even though we're gathering all this information, we have, we have no firm footing to stand on. But let's be real, right? We could put 2020 over here by itself and act like it's an anomaly. But fear is not new. We all had fears. I had fears before 2020 came. It's just that this year has kind of sucker punched us and kicked us all into our fight or flight responses. There's plenty of things we're afraid of outside of COVID-19, social unrest, and election cycles. And we've all experienced what fear does to us. What it, what it does to us and the people around us. As the sand shifts under your feet and some comfort you now feel is up for grabs, haven't you had the experience of anxiety flooding into your soul? Like your peace is suddenly gone. Like I, I have several moments etched into my mind where I heard news or something happened and my soul was a bit undone. Haven't you looked at people that don't agree with you or don't think something is as important as you do, you do that's making you afraid and more challenged to love them. Don't you get how important this is? Don't you get we're losing control and haven't you in your own heart been more challenged to love them? We've watched riots break out on the streets and in our own hearts we've had little riots that burn with anger towards even our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I'm not immune to this. This has been a harder season to try and stay informed, stay aware, and yet not be paralyzed with fear that leads to a lack of peace in my own heart and love for others. And we just see it everywhere. I've been challenged to not grow weary and keep loving. But Peter, over and over again, has been trying to settle our hearts. And in this last word today, he gives us some extraordinary promises. I mean, these promises are wild. You sit and think about them for a little while, and they should blow your mind. And they're meant to sink their roots down to the deepest parts of your soul where all of that fear and lovelessness and lack of peace lives and bloom into faith and peace and love. So I'm, I'm excited this morning. This text has been medicine for my soul, and I think it's going to be medicine for our souls as a people. So let's dive in. Point number one is the God of all grace. Remember what comes before this verse, that you understand how amazing the promises are. The devil is seeking to devour people. (laughs) It's a horrifying picture. Sometimes we read it as Christians and we kind of don't think he's real. C.S. Lewis said there's two mistakes to make with the devil. One is to attribute everything to him. The other is to act like he's not doing anything. But the Bible holds him up often as the one behind persecution. The one infecting the world. And we are to resist him knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by many believers. That means that the world that stands against us is backed by a very powerful spiritual enemy. So with the world against us and the devil behind the world, it could be a very fearful prospect. So what kind of promises could overcome that fear? As Peter's just given them the hard, cold reality, listen, the world is against you, the devil is behind the world, what will he say next to calm their fears? Look at verse 10. It says, After you have suffered A little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. This verse is packed, and yesterday, or on Friday when I was getting ready for this, I thought maybe I just need to hang out here for the whole sermon. But we're gonna we're gonna press on. Pastor David thinks maybe I should have, maybe I could have. But we're gonna try to get through it here. So what I want to notice, I want to notice first with you is this phrase we already saw in chapter one. It says, "After you have suffered a little while." And this is an interesting phrase because I will tell you, if you study church history, that the persecution that came for this church eventually was not a short one. It was not a little while. It was not a small thing. The mighty Roman Empire with the devil backing a cruel emperor waged a long, bloody persecution against believers. So how can Peter say this? After you've suffered a little while, perhaps you're here today and you're, you're weary with COVID and the election cycle and the unrest, and that's just on top of everything else that was already broken, already broken relationships and physical suffering and emotional pain, and you just say, doesn't feel like a little while. If someone came up to me after a decade of suffering in our family said, it's okay, it's just a little while, I might say, what are you talking about? Don't talk to me like that. That's an insult. So how can Peter say this? I think it's in comparison. 
Right? Comparison to what? It's in comparison to the eternal glory you've been called to in Christ. That's why it's a little while. Do you see that? It says you've been called to eternal glory in Christ. Church, you have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven, for you will obtain the outcome of your faith, the eternal salvation of your souls, because you've been born again to a living hope. That's what's coming. This is not the end. And so he can say, a little while, even if it means the rest of their lifetimes. There is a day coming soon where Jesus is going to come and make all things new and wipe every tear from our eyes. Just think about that phrase. He's going to make all things new. Every brokenness all the shalom that's been broken, all the peace that's been broken, all the, the brokenness between you and God because of your sin, all the brokenness in your relationships, all the diseases, everything you can imagine that's gone wrong this week, last week, the last decade, everything that will go wrong will be made right. Every tear wiped Away. There's a day coming soon when we will experience what right now no eye can see or heart imagine for those who love Him. There is a day coming when darkness will be no more because the glory of the Lamb will shine so brightly there will be no need for the sun. There is eternal glory coming to enjoy the infinite supreme beauty of the holiness of our God forever in light of that. These sufferings are just for a little while. And only in light of that are these sufferings for a little while. And notice, it's guaranteed. In other words, our God starts it and our God finishes it. Who called us to eternal glory in Christ? God called us to this. And He is the God of all grace. All grace. He has all the grace and it's inexhaustible. He is an ever-flowing fountain of grace to the people who have trusted in His Son. Just consider His grace towards us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He sent His Son to live the life we could never live and die the death we deserve to die for sin and then raised Him from the dead to conquer death on our behalf. We're seated with Him in the heavenly places now. Then He sent His Holy Spirit in His mercy, to open our eyes to see His Son as beautiful and not boring. And then His Spirit dwells in us until we get to dwell with Him forever. This is His plan and purpose. This is the God of all grace. Look at what He has done as you consider your sufferings. But the good news is, we don't just look backwards. Like all that would be enough, right? It would be enough good news but this verse has a future promise when I stood in the ocean this past week and I looked out as far as I could see with no end in sight one of the most amazing things one of the first days I was there that I thought and I think this almost every time I'm there is there's waves way out there that are going to soon hit me they're they're coming they're going to crash over me I was sure that they'd get to me Why was I sure? 
because I could look behind me and see the last wave that had come crashing on the shore. I could look down and see the one that was crashing on me now and therefore look out and know that the future waves were certainly coming. And this is what God's grace is like. This is what faith in future grace is like. Grace is always breaking over us, always guaranteed, coming from an inexhaustible, unending source of power aimed at us. And the most amazing thing as I stood there pondering that is in light of His grace crashing towards us, it's, it's personal. Not just a, a big machine out there kind of pouring grace generally. It's a personal God who's our Father. Look at how personal it is here in this text. He will Himself. He's thinking of you as He pours out His grace. He will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let's look at each of those words as we consider His grace. Restore. The idea here is to put all things right. He's going to fix what is broken for His church. He's going to make things right. He's putting things right in us and through us even now and it will all be perfect one day soon. Or confirm. The idea of confirm is that He's going to firmly uphold us so we can keep trusting Him. He's going to keep Jesus before our eyes so that though we do not see Him, we believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you're still believing in this moment here today because of His present confirming grace or strengthen. He's going to empower us to make it. He's going to empower us to trust Him and live for Him and fill the places we are with beautiful deeds that declare His glory. He's empowering His church today to be in this moment, to be filled with peace and overflow with love. You're empowered today for this moment. You are part of the church for this moment. You belong to Him for this moment. This is not too much for you, not because of you, but because of Him. His strength, His empowerment is made perfect in your weakness or establish you. This goes back to the idea that we're a spiritual house from chapter 2. This is the idea of being foundational. He will establish us and make us stand firm on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We just keep coming back to Him. Every day we wake up and we know Christ is the cornerstone when everything else feels shaky and unsettling I stand on Him. I'm anchored in Him. My anchor holds within the veil. He is my firm footing. His perfect life and death and resurrection means it really is finished. And I really can't be moved today, tomorrow, or ever because of Jesus. Now all of these things find their ultimate fulfillment in eternal glory where all things will be perfectly right, upheld, strengthened, and established. But He's doing this now. He's doing this day by day with His new mercies to His blood-bought family every morning. So Peter's point in verse 10 is God is going to keep doing this. You don't have to ultimately fear the future. Your God has called you to eternal glory. Your God has saved you in Christ. Your God is the God of all grace. Your God promises to work in you and through you to get you to glory. Yes, church, the world is against you. The devil is prowling. 
Don't be surprised. The promises of God are so much bigger than the threats against you. Do you believe that? Peter means to overwhelm us in the ocean of grace with this text. Do you believe that? That the promises of God are really that much bigger than the threats against you? What if your worst fear of this nation, of this pandemic, what if your worst fears of everything came true? What if this is the end of the world? Pastor David in a pastoral meeting the other day said, if that's the case, yay. (laughs) What if it is the worst? This is still true. Church, Put your faith not just in the past grace seen at the cross, but in this promise of future grace that will continue to flow toward you like one wave of the ocean after another, the very grace you're standing in this morning. Point number two, the God of all power. So the God of all grace and the God of all power. Just look at verse 11. It says, To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is really kind of the, the end of the official letter, and then you're going to kind of get to the, the afterword after this. And of course, after verse 10, what can we do but with Peter just break into praise? <laughs> That's what Peter does. But notice how he praises. I love doxologies and the particulars of them because they're all a little bit different. It gives you insight into what this writer is thinking. And here he praises the eternal dominion or power of God. Why does he do that here? Because Rome would have seemed like quite a power. Who could defeat Rome? Who could end the persecution? Whose whose hands are we in? Or Satan. You just told us Satan is roaming and roaring. So we've got Rome and the devil against us. But our God has all dominion forever and ever. There is nothing you see in the world that is not under the mighty hand of God working for His ultimate purposes and His ultimate glory and therefore your ultimate good. There's just not. Even the suffering of His people. We see this in the book of Job. Satan and the broken world conspiring to undo one of His people, but none of that out of God's control and all of it working for the ultimate good of His people and the glory of His name. What others mean for evil, God will turn for good for His church. Peter praises in this particular way, I think, to show the unstoppable purposes of God's grace. It is good news that God's grace flows towards us and that He makes His promises. It is better news that He is the one who has dominion over all things so He can keep His promises. If I make a promise I have no power to keep, it's not very good news for you. But if I make a promise that you know I can keep, you can depend on me because I have the strength, the ability to do it, it's really good news. And because of the blood of Jesus, He is a Father who is pleased to always work for our good and who promises to finish the good work He started in us. We can look around. This We can just confess it. We don't have to pretend as Christians. We can look around and see powerful forces at work for evil, can look around and see the brokenness around us, and it can cause us to tremble and fear. It really can. We can can tremble. We can admit that here. 
So I just want to share at our morning prayer time this last Friday, we're praying for our church, we're praying for our nation. Nathan Medcalf uh, read this verse, and it sunk to the core of my soul. Psalm 97, 1, just the first half of the verse. Here's what it says. I think it gets at Peter's point. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. I don't know about you, but my soul in these days is thirsty for anchors. And as he read that verse out loud, I found myself going, yes, we rejoice in the reign of our Lord. We rejoice because his reign is perfectly righteous. Like, I don't have to count on anyone else's righteousness. I can count on his righteousness and his reign. But even more so, we rejoice as the family of God because his all-powerful reign is at work for our good to bring us to eternal glory where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Our God reigns. Let us especially rejoice. You should come to prayer meetings. Stuff like that happens. Your soul gets filled up as you hear other believers go to the Word in prayer. Point number three, stand in this true grace. Silvanus is likely a courier of Peter's letter here. He might have written it down for Peter as Peter dictated it. He might have just carried the letter there. He might have even helped him a little bit with some translation things. There's all sorts of opinions out there. It doesn't matter that much. Paul wants us to know that he was faithful in what he did, that he was faithful in the work the Lord gave him. But Peter's point here is to tell them why he has written all of this to them. So we should, we should care about this. Otherwise, the rest of what we've done <laughs> hasn't been for much. So, so why? Why has he done this? Why has he written this? And he says to exhort them and declare truth to them. He's wanted to call them to action. He's wanted to get them ready for something. Why has he written and told them about their identity and itinerary as Christians who are not yet home? Because he says he wants them to stand firm in the grace of God. He doesn't want them to be shaken when the persecution ramps up. He wants them to know who they are and what they're called to so that they don't have to react but can instead ready their hearts and their minds and their souls fixed on Jesus. I was thinking about this text a little bit as our family was on vacation. And these, these texts in the Bible, these, kinda, these passive verbs are always interesting. How do I stand firm in someone else's grace? How, how do I stand in someone else's strength? He is the God of all grace. It all comes from Him. We can't manufacture my own grace. I can't get up in the morning and produce more grace for myself. So how do we stand in it? I think the answer is that we face the waves of suffering and opposition, clinging to our God and trusting in His strength. So I'm going to give you a word picture as I was meditating on this that just came while we were gone. Our littlest one, Quinn, uh, she's she's going to turn uh, two this week. Uh, She got there and she just loved to play in the ocean. Right? I mean, can you imagine? It's big to me. Can you imagine how big that is to her? She's like a foot in and like knocked down, <laughs> falling over. She's like, what is this? She loved it, but even, even the smallest little tides that would come in would just put her down. They just knock her down. They were really strong and it was really windy. And so early on, she was a bit shaken. Like the first couple times were exciting and then she was like not so sure anymore she wanted to do it. So what we learned to do to kind of help her overcome 
that initial fear was to get behind her, and as the waves crashed, we'd just kind of hug her in our arms. We'd be behind her, she'd be clinging to us, and we'd steady her. And so wave after wave crashed, and suddenly, instead of fear, it was replaced with smiles of delight. And I thought, oh, to be content in my Father's arms. When the waves are coming, to not try to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, not try to dust myself off and get back up, I'm going to hit that wave, because you know what's going to happen? What would have happened for her? She's going down every time. (laughs) There's no hope she's going to get stronger in that moment, but the delight she had to just be in our arms, the waves crashing, she's strong in our strength. The childlike joy of simply entrusting our souls to another who can keep us. So Peter's calling us to stand firm in His grace. Remember who He is. Remember who you are. You're not called to this in your own strength. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't conquer the waves by yourself. You're not taking down Nero. You're not going to beat up the devil on your own. But you can stand in the arms of your Father You can stand in His grace. So how do we do this? How do we stand in another's grace? I think Peter would just call us to remember that we serve the God of all grace who has dominion forever and ever and cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. I'm going to tell you how this works for me. I remember sometimes we read these promises, at least if you're like me and you you got all the good theology and so you kind of know what it means theologically. And I remember one particular instance in my life where, where the burdens were just heavy. Now, I just felt like, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm supposed to cast my cares, right? I'm kind of thinking of it theoretically. I remember just stopping and going, like, what if I did that? Like, I, like I just named every care that I have right now. I just list them out loud and turned every anxiety into a prayer and just had this thought, I'm just going to put them on Him. And I would encourage you to do that. Oftentimes what we do is we, we, we try to push them down or suppress them or not deal with them or maybe numb them with Netflix, right? It's a lot easier to watch a good episode of something than deal with all the, the existential anxiety and stuff that's going on in your heart. I would encourage you to name them out loud and turn them into prayers. Lord, I am afraid of what's going on in our nation right now. Would you carry that for me? God, I'm afraid of all my parenting failures and what they're going to do to my kids. I'm, I'm not doing what Pastor David called them to do this morning. I'm, I'm not. Would you take that from me? Lord, my marriage is broken. I'm worried. Would you take it? Lord, I'm afraid to get sick. I'm afraid of the loved ones around me getting sick. Lord, would you take that care? Lord, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. Like he already knows. We have a throne of grace. How do you stand firm in another strength? You don't try to do it on your own. Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. The way to make it through suffering is not to be restless with endless research or activism or even religious activity as if they can somehow save you. The way to make it through the waves of fear is to take Jesus up on His offer to run to Him with your weariness and find rest for your souls. How will you run this race? How will you stand? By hope in politicians? By hope in cures? By hope in pastors? By hope in elections? 
There is only one way to stand. It's by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who mercy of mercy says, come. Come to the altar. Bring it all. Lay it down at my feet. I know it already. I'll carry it for you. You don't have to carry this on your own. I'll carry it for you. Finally, application here. Faith in future grace. Verses 13 to 14. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Notice how even Peter's final words repeat themes we've seen throughout this book over and over again. He refers to a chosen one from Babylon. He's likely talking about the church in Rome. The reference to Babylon is likely his way of talking about how they're exiles in Rome, just like Israel was exiled in Babylon. But notice that whether it's a church or a specific notable woman at the church there, there's the theme of one who is chosen as an exile in a foreign, hostile land. Notice he says, Mark, my son. Here's this family theme that we've seen throughout the book of 1 Peter. We're a chosen family that trusts in the God of all grace to empower us to fill the foreign places we are with beautiful deeds that shine forth the beauty of our Savior. And notice that in that identity, what does he call them to? What ought to overflow out of that kind of people? He calls them to two things. He says, love each other, greet each other with the kiss of love, and be at peace if you're in Christ. What timely exhortations for us. Church, in light of who you are, in light of the God of all grace, in light of his eternal dominion, love each other. We can do it. Love each other in light of all that. Love each other and be at peace. Be at peace. Don't be shaken by fear of the future. Be filled with faith and future grace. Don't let fear steal your love for each other. Don't give in there. Instead, let faith overflow in love for each other. Don't let fear steal your peace. Instead, be filled with the peace that comes from the finished work of Jesus. So how does faith in future grace, knowing our Father cares for us, knowing He's going to care for us, result in peace? Give you one more word picture from our vacation. Right? It's my life. It's all I got. So I'm just going to hear a lot about it for a little while. But how, how does faith in our Father's love, the God of all grace, how does that create peace in us? So we were out in the ocean a lot, but every once in a while, the kids wanted to go to the pool, much to the chagrin of the parents, but we went there for them once in a while. And uh, the older two would be off kind of doing their thing, swimming. So I hung out with Apollos a lot. Uh, and he would mainly hang out on the steps, right? The, the, the entry thing to the steps because he could kind of be on his own and do his own thing there. And he would knew that I was there. Well, he kept venturing deeper and deeper and I was right there and kind of letting him do his thing. And this one time, it was later in the week, he, his confidence had grown. Um, he, he did this thing. I don't even know what it was. He kept doing this thing. He was kind of like tipping back and see how far he could go. And he lost it. Right, so he's, he's under there, and I'm like, whoops. I was getting a little too, bit too confident in his abilities. And I was a, a couple seconds, right? He's under there, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he, he wasn't in any danger. Don't worry. I'm, a, I'm not a horrible parent. Even though in that moment, what happened in my heart? 
I thought, oh no, I've just, I've just ruined it. He's going to have fears forever. He's not going to ever want to go in the water again, right? He was under there, and it felt like forever. He must have been so scared. So I bring him up, and I pull him close. Like I'm like, this is a, a big moment. I've got to help him, restore him here. I say, buddy, are you okay? He's like, yeah. I'm like, were you, were you afraid? No. He's like, well, why? And he just said, I knew you'd get me. I knew you'd get me. I thought, that, <laughs> that's what I need. That childlike, with my father, who is much more powerful than me. The God of all grace, dominion over all things forever and ever. Dave, are you afraid? I know you'll get me. I know you'll got me. You're going to restore me and confirm me and strengthen me. I know you have me. You called me to eternal glory. So, family, stand firm in grace as you fight your fears. Stand firm in the all-sufficient grace and all-powerful arms of the God who has called you to eternal glory and promises to get you there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Stand firm in grace and then overflow in love to one another even when you disagree with each other because we know we have nothing that will divide us as much as what unites us in Christ. Stand firm in grace and find peace for your soul amidst all the brokenness, sin, and chaos in this life knowing your outcome is secure and every tear will soon be wiped away and all will be made new. Stand firm in grace knowing that all of these promises find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. He sees your suffering. He sees when you go under. He sees what's against you. And He is with you. Offering rest for your souls. He's got you. He never leaves you or forsakes you. And He has all the power. All the grace that has called you to eternal glory and will get you there to be with Him forever. Let me pray. So, Father, now we get to come to the table and we get to proclaim your death until you come again. We get to come and fellowship with you, eat and drink with you. And so, Father, th this is the moment where we bring our fears, we bring our sin, we bring our shame, we bring our brokenness, and we come remembering your death on the cross that has paid for our sins and guaranteed that this God of all grace, all of his power is poured out for us, not against us. And so I pray for anyone in this room right now that is struggling with sin or struggling with fear that they would just bring it to your throne of grace right now and expect that you're going to meet them with grace and mercy and well-timed help. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.